0: Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 57, we'll be reading to the end of the chapter. Uh, For those of you who are visiting us today, again, I want to add my welcome to Pastor David. We're working through an Advent series on some of the songs of Christmas from the Gospel according to Luke. So this week we're studying Zechariah's story and Zechariah's song from Luke 1. This is God's Word, Luke 1, verse 57. What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old." we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us grant to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days." And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. This is God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. O Lord our God, give us wisdom to understand your word. We thank you for your grace, which is greater than our sins. We thank you for your blood, which cleanses us from all sins. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, which guides us into the truth. Lord, your word is truth. Make it come alive to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, I want to begin with two questions. The first question is this. Who is the greatest person who ever lived? All right, I'll give you two hints. Number one, it's not me. I know that's what some of you are thinking, but I promise, I did not even crack the top 10, okay? It's not me. Second, his birthday is in 22 days, all right? Easy enough on that one, right? A little Christian life hack for you. If you ever don't know the answer in church, just say Jesus. There's like a 90% chance uh, that that is the correct answer. You're welcome. As Christians, we worship Jesus, we pray in the name of Jesus, we believe that Jesus is our Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who rose from the dead in victory over sin and death and hell forever. We believe that he is our Savior. He died for us, in our place, in order to reconcile us to God. Christmas is all about Jesus. There is nobody who is greater than him. Now that leads us to a second question. Who is the second greatest person who ever lived? I'll give you another hint. It is not Nick Saban. <laughs> Tom Roberson, you're going to have to pick another person, okay? Okay. <laughs> Uh, It's nobody from the SEC, no coaches, no players, nobody, all right? It's not Elon Musk, it's not George Washington, it's not Booker T. Washington, it's not Abraham or Moses or King David, it's not Peter, James or John or even the Apostle Paul, it's not Mary, the mother mother of Jesus or her cousin Elizabeth, it's not Joseph the carpenter or Zechariah the priest, according to Jesus. The second greatest person who ever lived was his cousin, John. In Luke 7, verse 28, Jesus said, I tell you, among those who were born of women, no one is greater than John. Now that's a bold statement, especially when you consider the source. The question is, why? What was so great about John the Baptist? Was it something he said? Was it something that he did? At a time of year when we rightly focus on Jesus and Mary and Joseph, why does Luke, in his gospel account, spend so much time focusing on Zechariah, Elizabeth, and their son, John? These are some of the questions we'll be trying to answer this morning as we continue our Advent series looking at the songs of Christmas from the gospel according to Luke. Last week we looked at Mary's song about Jesus, arguably the greatest song ever written, about inarguably the greatest person who ever lived. This week we're going to look at a lesser known song, the song of Zechariah, one of the great songs of the Bible about the second greatest person who ever lived. It's a great song because, like Mary's song, it's a song that tells a story. An old, old story of Jesus and his love. A story about redemption. A story about salvation for everyone who believes. So what's the story And how does that story enable us to sing the song? If you're taking notes this morning, we have a pretty simple outline, a familiar outline if you were here last week, an outline that we will be using throughout this Advent series. First, we're going to focus on the story. What happened in the lives of Zechariah, Elizabeth, and the birth of their son, John? How and why did God bless them? Second, we're going to focus on the song. How did Zechariah respond to God's grace? And what does his response tell us, not only about the gospel writ large, but specifically about the Christmas story, about Jesus and the wonders of his love? Let's take a closer look at the story and the song of a simple man named Zechariah. Now, we begin with Zechariah's story, verse 57. Now, the co- time came for Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, to give birth, and she bore a son. Now, here's the backstory. story. Earlier in Luke chapter 1, the part of the story that we didn't read, we learned that Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, were an older couple in ministry. They were both faithful believers. He was a small-town priest She was his wife, and they lived together in the hill country of Judea. Now, before God intervened in their lives, they were unable to have children, which weighed heavily on their hearts. In that culture, children were rightly seen as a blessing from the Lord, and that's certainly true. We believe that today. Our children are a blessing from the Lord, but sadly, Many people wrongly believed that the inverse was also true. They believed that infertility was a curse from God. Many people believed that someone's inability to have children signified that God was displeased with them in some way, that He was angry with them, that He was cursing them because of their sin. Now that was an emotional wound. It hurt Zechariah and Elizabeth very, very deeply, but it seems that in spite of their disappointment, they had accepted God's plan for their lives. They would grow old together, serving God and loving people, which is something that all of us can do, whether or not we have children of our own at any age. Now, that was the plan until God intervened in a miraculous way. Zechariah was in Jerusalem, the capital city, serving in the temple, which he did two times every year. That particular year, he was chosen to go into the holy place, the second holiest place of all the temple, in order to burn incense before the Lord. It was kind of a big deal. It was kind of like winning the Travis Laird door prize at the annual Pinewoods Christmas party, right? If you come to the party, some people win no prizes at all. Some people win like a, you know, Starbucks gift card or something. And one person wins a handmade wooden swing that is probably worth more than my car. But I digress. Now, while he was doing his uh, priestly duties in the temple, the holy place, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and said, Your prayers have been answered, Zechariah. You and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a son. And not only that, he's going to be a special son because he's going to be a forerunner of the Messiah. He's going to be like the Elijah-like figure who was prophesied by the prophet Malachi 400 years earlier than this story, at the end of the period of the Old Testament. He's going to spend his entire life pointing people to Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior King of everyone who believes. It's an amazing story. Zechariah was in the temple praying the world's most impossible prayer. Lord, give me a son. Open the barren womb of my wife that we might be a father and a mother. Why did God answer him? Well, the Abra- angel Gabriel tells us nothing isn't possible with God. Do you believe that? Think about how different your life would be if you really believed that nothing, absolutely nothing, was impossible with God. Whatever is broken in your life, God can fix it. Whatever is hurting in your life, God can heal it. Any sickness, any stress, any struggle, nothing is impossible with God. Now, God doesn't always do things the way that we expect him to do things. Never in a million years did Zechariah and Elizabeth expect that they would be parents, much less the parents of the second most important person who ever lived, this Elijah-like figure who would prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. But God is willing and he is able to do the impossible. Do you believe that? Zechariah had a little bit of trouble with it. According to verse 18, he wasn't so sure. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Two things. First, kind of an aside, men, never refer to your wife as advanced in years. Okay? Even if you're thinking it, don't say it out loud. I, Zechariah thought, hey, I'm just talking to the uh, angel. Nobody's going to hear this. Well, somehow got out. Uh, uh, his wife found out. She told it to uh, her cousin it, it, who told it to Luke, and now it's in the Bible. So just, do, just don't even go there, okay? Second, be very careful when you ask God to give you a sign because he just might give you a sign, and it might not be the sign that you're looking for. Verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now I know what some of you are thinking. A husband who can't speak for nine months? It's a Christmas miracle. Right? But it wasn't a miracle for Zechariah because his job was to speak to people about the Lord and to speak to the Lord about God's people. He was a priest. And so speaking was kind of important when it came to doing his job. So there he is. No speech for nine months. Now, fast forward nine months to the end of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth had her baby, and all the people of the village came over to her house to celebrate. Having a baby is always a big deal. Anytime anyone in our church has a baby, we always celebrate it. But it was an especially big deal in this case because Zechariah and Elizabeth had been barren for so long. This was an answer to every one of their greatest prayers. Here it was. God had answered. They've been unable to have children, and now here is this son. Now, when the baby was eight days old, it was time for him to be circumcised. And so everyone in the village gathered around, and they waited to hear his name. Just a little interesting aside. Today, when women are pregnant, we have gender reveal parties, and everybody comes over, and we hear the gender of the baby. Back then, they had name reveal parties. After the baby was born, right before the, especially a son was circumcised, but also a daughter, they would say, here is the name, and they would name the baby. So everyone is there. Now in that culture, people normally chose family names, and everyone expected the baby to be named Zechariah or maybe some other family name. But Elizabeth said, we're calling him John. When an angel says, you need to name the baby John, you name the baby John. Plus, the name John, Johannan, is a perfect name because it means the Lord, Yahweh, is gracious. Is there a more perfect expression, this side of the cross, of the grace of God, than what God did for this older faithful couple in ministry by giving them a child? amazing. Now, the villagers weren't so amazed. Initially, they protested, verse 61, and they said to her, none of your relatives are called by that name. When it comes to baby names, not a lot has changed. Everyone has an opinion. You tell your kid's name and somebody says, well, I don't know if I like that name, but... Verse 62, and they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. Now, this is one of my favorite details of the story. Because apparently, after nine months of silence, they forgot that Zechariah could steal here. Have you ever? I have done this before, to my great shame. Have you ever been talking to someone who is maybe visually impaired or blind or something, and you find yourself raising your voice and talking a little bit louder, and then you think to yourself, well, he's not deaf. It's, he, there's a blindness here. So he can hear everything that they're saying, and yet they're doing sort of charades to communicate. Apparently, I'm the only one who found that fascinating. So <laughs> back to the story. Now, eventually, the villagers got tired of playing Pictionary, And so they handed Zechariah a tablet, likely a tablet that was covered with wax and maybe a little uh, wooden stylus that he could write on the wax. And Zechariah wrote, his name is John. In Greek, it's even more emphatic than that. In Greek, it reads literally, John is his name. Zechariah believed the promises of God instantly. His voice came back, and he began to sing. Now, before we get to the song that Zechariah sang, I want to just make a a few comments about Zechariah's faith. One of the things that this story tells us is that God uses different strategies to bring different people to faith. For some people, God uses a gentle hand. That's what he did with Mary at first, She didn't believe. The angel appeared to her, and she said, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? Well, God led her to Elizabeth. Elizabeth confirmed the promises of God. Mary believed, and her soul began to magnify the Lord. If you are struggling with faith, and I think all of us have our our struggles with faith, Maybe God wants you to find your Elizabeth. To find someone in the family of faith and the community of faith who can share with you the promises of God and confirm the promises of God and show you the truth of all that God has to say to his people. For other people, God uses a firm hand. Sadly, some of us, and I include myself in this, are a little bit more like Zechariah. We need God to get our attention a bit more forcefully before we believe. One of my best friends, for example, came to faith during boot camp. He was in this extreme situation. He had nothing in the world. And somehow God used that very intense situation to give him great clarity about his need for God's grace. For other people, it might be a death in the family. For others, it might be a chronic sickness, a chronic illness. Whatever God needs to use to bring us to faith, He will bring His people to faith. He might use hard situations to wake us up to our need for His grace. Now, whether you came to faith the easy way, like Mary, or the hard way, like Zechariah, God will move heaven and earth to bring us to faith. His love never fails. His grace is irresistible. If God wants you, He won't leave you alone until He gets you, until you believe. Now, that's the story. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for those who believe the promises of God and receive His amazing grace. Here's the song. Zechariah's song is sometimes called the Benedictus because the word Benedictus in Latin means blessed. The very first line of this song after nine months of silence is the word blessed, a benediction. Verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, right off the bat, we see that Zechariah's song is a redemption song. It's a story about the gospel. It's a story about God's grace. And because of that, it's a song about Christmas. If you look closely at the song, you'll see that there are two parts in the song. The first part of the song focuses on God's son, Jesus, and the second part of the song focuses on Zechariah's son, John. Now that order is important because it shows us what healthy spiritual priorities look like all the time, but especially during the Christmas season. At the Christmas season, it's so easy to get caught up in the lights and the sounds and the food and the excitement and the gifts that we can miss the single most important thing and the single most important person in the Christmas story, which is the birth of Jesus Christ. He almost becomes an afterthought to us sometimes. Zechariah reminds us that Christmas is all about him. Look at what Zechariah tells us about the gospel in this song. First, he tells us that salvation is a gift from God. Verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. My friends, we are saved because God has visited us. We are saved because God has redeemed us. We are saved because Jesus came from heaven to earth to break the power of sin and shame and death forever. To redeem us by releasing us from bondage and setting us free at the cost of his own life. Salvation, Christmas reminds us, is not something that we achieve. It is something that we receive from the very hand of God. That's so important. Because in every other religion, including counterfeits of the Christian religion, we believe that we have to do enough in order to earn God's blessing. That if we simply do enough good works, if we give, if we go, then God will bless us with his grace. Many well-intentioned people Believe that we can earn our salvation based on what we do. Well, my friends, in Christianity, it is the exact opposite. It is the other way around. In Christianity, we're we saved not because we're so good. We're saved but because God is so good. He has been so, so good to us. We are saved not because of what we have done, but often, and especially, in spite of what we have done. God shows us his love for us in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for his enemies. That's how gracious and amazing our God is. Christmas reminds us that salvation is a gift from God. Jesus has visited and redeemed his people. Second, Zechariah tells us that salvation is the fulfillment of a promise. You'll notice that in the song, Zechariah invokes King David, the prophets, and the covenant, the oath that God swore to Abraham. Why? Well, he's showing us that the birth of Jesus isn't some kind of random one-off event, some sort of strange historical anomaly. It is something that shows us that God keeps his promises because Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. That means every time you read your Bible, every time you read the Old Testament, all the law, all the prophets, all the Proverbs, everything in the Scriptures from Genesis to Malachi, from Matthew to the book of Revelation, it is all finding its ultimate and final fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's a story about how sinners who desperately need God's grace find the grace that we need in the person and work of His Son, Jesus That's the story. And that's what Zechariah is reminding us by appealing to the the story of God's people. God's people have been waiting for thousands of years, and it all comes down to this. Heaven and earth meet in the person of Jesus at the very first Christmas. Third, Zechariah tells us that salvation means deliverance from our enemies, Jesus has come then and now, verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now the enemies that Zechariah probably had in mind were his political enemies. He was probably thinking about the Roman Empire, which had occupied Israel during those days. He was probably thinking of the the occupations of Israel in previous days by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, the Egyptians who had kept uh, the Israelites prisoners and slaves in Egypt. Zechariah is saying that's over now. Zechariah is saying that there is a new king and a new kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness and justice and mercy and freedom and peace because of jesus someday there will be no more war in the middle east because of jesus there will be someday no more war between russia and the ukraine someday because of jesus there will be no more crime no more riots on the streets of the united states we will live in perfect peace And the birth of Jesus is the inauguration of God's kingdom and the beginning of God fulfilling those promises. All of that's true. But I wonder if you realize that there's an even more subtle, more sinister enemy that we face as God's people. It's so much worse in many ways than the enemies that we find out there in the world. I wonder if you realize that there's an enemy who lives inside of us. Sadly, because of sin, we are often our own worst enemies. We create chaos for ourselves and other people through our own sinful thoughts and words and deeds. The good news of the gospel, the good news of Christmas, is that Jesus came to save us from ourselves. He came to liberate us from sin, to change our hearts and make us new. Now, if you're a sinner, and we all are, that is good news. If you have been sinned against, like Zechariah and the Israelites, it's good news. Someday, we will be saved from our enemies, the enemies out there in the world who sin against us, and the enemy in our heart, our own sinful nature, which sins against other people. Someday, Jesus will triumph over his enemies and ours forever and ever. Fourth thing, Zechariah tells us that our salvation means we are set free to serve God by serving one another. Verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. In other words, we have been set free in order to serve Having been given the world's greatest gift, the gift of salvation, God calls us as his people to give good gifts to other people in his name, not only during Christmas season, but all year round. Now, what does that look like? Maybe it looks like baking some cookies for your neighbor or baking some cookies for your pastor. You know, far be it from me to give you specifics as to how you should fulfill this, but that's an idea. Maybe it looks like a babysitting for a single mom or a young couple with, who's just trying to make it work in a busy, harried life. We have a few of those in our church, young couples with kids. Maybe it means giving someone a copy of your favorite book. Maybe it goes means going to the Waffle House, whether or not you normally go to the Waffle House, and leaving your waiter or your waitress a $100 tip something that will really, really impact them in a deep and meaningful way. God did his gift giving in some pretty creative ways. And so as his people, let's do our gift giving in some pretty creative ways in order that we might honor him who gave us the greatest gift. The gift of Jesus. Now, I'm going to close with this. John the Baptist was the the second greatest man who ever lived because he spent his whole life pointing people to Jesus. And that's the second part of Zechariah's song. In the second half of Zechariah's song, Zechariah, who's a proud dad, a happy dad, blesses his son. Verse 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Now, if you know the rest of the story, if you keep reading, you will quickly discover that when John grew up and made his first public appearance, he revealed himself uh, as a pretty quirky guy. I I think that's probably putting it mildly. Long hair, long beard, weird clothes, ate grasshoppers, uh, dropped out of school to go live in a van down by the river. Frankly, he kind of sounds like a hippie to me, but uh, Zechariah, his dad, didn't care anything about that. None of that mattered to him because his son John was serving the Lord. Parents and grandparents, is that your prayer for your kids and grandkids? Lord, whatever becomes of him, whatever becomes of her, let him serve the Lord. Let her use all of the joy that you've given her to bless his holy name. Do you pray, Lord, let him be a millionaire? Let him be the valedictorian. Let him excel at sports. Or do you pray, Lord, let them serve you. Let them their whole lives point other people to Jesus. Do you pray that your kids and grandkids would tell the world, What Christmas really means? That the light of God's salvation has come. His name is Jesus, and He gives grace to everyone who believes. That's our story. It's your story if you believe. Are you singing that song? That great song of salvation, First sung by Mary and then Zechariah and now sung by untold millions and millions in every nation on this earth who sing the song of joy at what Jesus has done for us. Are you singing that song? You can if you believe. Let's go to God in prayer. O oh Lord our God, what great joy you have given to us that you would send your son Jesus to be the Savior of sinners. We thank you for John the Baptist. Thank you for Zechariah and Elizabeth, faithful mom and a faithful dad who raised their kid according to the promises of God, who allowed him to fulfill his calling and his destiny to proclaim the good news of Jesus to everyone within the sound of his voice. Oh, Lord God. Make us like John the Baptist. Make our children and grandchildren like John the Baptist. May we find greatness by pointing others to you. Hear our prayer. We pray in your most holy name, Jesus, and for your sake. Amen.